Genesis 15. Now, um, one of the 20s and 30s meetings in the coming weeks, we're going to um, be exploring some of the crucial terms that kind of perhaps even define us as a congregation. You know, so we're going to be looking at w- w- with the younger people stuff like um, what it means to be reformed. What does that even mean? Or um, who are these guys, the Free Church of Scotland? You know, what is that denomination all about? Or perhaps even when a congregation defines itself as being evangelical, does that mean anything anymore? And if so, what does it mean? And that night, one of the, the terms or the expressions that we will perhaps consider is what is called a covenant theology. You've heard that banded about, covenant theology. And so... Um, because the the 20s and 30s are going to be looking at it. And because it is so kind of fundamentally important to understanding Genesis 15. Before we get into the text tonight, I know we've done it before, but let's again remind ourselves of exactly what that is. I mean, what is covenant theology? What does it mean? Well, covenant theology is a way of kind of understanding or reading the Bible where we don't sort of break the Bible up into dispensations or, a, or blocks of time so much as we read Scripture and understand that all the way through Scripture, God is relating to man through this sort of series of promises that he makes. He's relating to man through a series of covenants. Okay, fine. But what is a covenant? Well, let me give you just now, um, scholars kind of, you know, this is a sort of well-known definition of a, of a biblical covenant. So this is what this guy says. Okay, he says that a biblical covenant is a bond in blood that is sovereignly administered. So it is a bond. It is a treaty. A covenant is a treaty between God and man, but a bond in blood. So it is a a treaty between God and man that is always secured with the spilling of blood, but it's a bond in blood sovereignly administered. So a covenant is a treaty that comes from, that is instigated, initiated by, governed by... God, he's the main party in the covenant. So a bond in blood, sovereignly administered. And within covenant theology, we have got three, what we call three main, or or perhaps three sort of overarching covenants that we talk about. We've got the first one is the covenant of works. Now you've heard of that should have done because we talked about it not that long ago the covenant of works so this was where in the garden of eden god promised blessing to adam in return for perfect obedience so that's the covenant of works it's the first one i said there was three second one is the covenant of redemption this is a beauty 
covenant of redemption. This is where sometime before even the creation of the universe, the three persons of the Trinity, Father, Son, Holy Spirit, they got together, they entered into a covenant where they agreed to work together for the salvation of God's people. That's quite a thought, isn't it? Covenant of redemption. And then we have the third, the greatest of the covenants, the covenant of grace. Covenant of works, covenant of redemption, the covenant of grace. Now this is where after Adam had sort of broken this agreement, the covenant of works, God did not just sort of stand back and say, right, you've broken it, that's it, game over with. God did not just sort of eternally damn all mankind to hell because of its wickedness. But God immediately promised a new way of restoration. That if man were to put his faith, faith, in the atoning work of this promised Savior, that man would experience blessing of that covenant. That man would experience saving grace. And I say all of this tonight... Because what we'll see in Genesis chapter 15 is the confirmation, the establishment, the securing of that glorious and wonderful covenant of God. So in God's dealings with Abraham tonight, we have here one of the most uh, critical chapters in covenant theology. But we have got tonight one of the, you could say one of the most critical uh, chapters in all of the Bible. Are you with me so far? Okay? Covenant theology. With me so far. The bad news is I'm kind of not finished with covenants because I've got a question for you. Okay? Think about this one. Here's the question. Where in Scripture is God's covenant with Abram? Not a trick question. Almost. Where in Scripture is God's covenant with Abram? Well, have a a look. I think you probably look at it in your pew bible look at the title that the niv gives it chapter 15 you see what it says don't know if it's got it in the church bible or not my bible says niv chapter 15 it says god's covenant with abram right so uh, you might look at that and think okay andy pretty obvious it's genesis chapter 15 that's where god's covenant is with abram but hang on a sec what do you do then with genesis 12 remember what we saw there you know god says to Abram, go to Canaan. And then God promises all these things to Abram, the, the land and the seed and this great nation. What do you do with that? Is that not covenantal promise? Name what about you going to Genesis 17? And what about if you go to Genesis 22? And these are chapters that are just littered full with covenantal language. What, what do you do with all of that stuff? Well, what we need to know before we move into the text here is that The covenant that God makes with Abram, it spans all of that. The covenant that God makes with Abram spans from chapter 12 right through to chapter 22. That what God does is that he takes time to establish this bond, this treaty, this covenant with Abram. Now, why does he do that? Why does God take time to do it? Well, this is the important thing. As we'll see tonight... God does that so that it is through life experience. 
it is through darkness and difficulty that God teaches Abram the realities and the implications of what is being promised in this glorious covenant of grace, this glorious treaty with man. Through difficulty, it is taught to him. Okay, now, because we've had a, a, a longer introduction, the points tonight, truncated, much shorter. Okay, but nonetheless important than that. So let's look at the text. Let's consider, first of all, this, our, our first main heading, an experience of darkness. Let's consider that, an experience of darkness. So, so what we're seeing is that Genesis 15, we sum it up, Genesis 15 is this crucial point in Scripture that is one of these covenant or peaks of the Old Testament. And so <clears throat> because of that, we might expect to find in Genesis 15 the man of God here, Abram. We might expect to find him sort of riding the, the crest of a spiritual wave, right? If Genesis 15 is so sort of theologically important, we might expect Abram to be just, you know, rejoicing and just jumping for joy and, and just so spiritually enthused. But what we actually find is something totally different, isn't it? Because as we see, even from the very beginning of this chapter, and then what we see from this, do you see it? The dreadful darkness that engulfs Abram in verse 12. What we've got is a man in despair. We've got a man here going through the trauma of spiritual depression. So I guess the question we've got to ask is why? I mean, what is going on? Why is there darkness all around here for Abram? Well, straight away, let's notice that this is darkness because of exhaustion. Isn't it? It's darkness because of exhaustion. See, look with me. If your Bibles are open, just look with me to how the chapter begins. Okay, now, depending on what version you've got in front of you, it will either say, I think, after this, or if you're an ESV guy, it might say, after these things. Um, but do you see what that means? Scripture is tying, after this, Scripture is tying this darkness that Abram has in chapter 15. Scripture's tying that to what happened previously. So Scripture is tying this de despair that Abram has gone through to the events that we saw last week. Do you remember what we saw last week? It's tying this darkness to that sort of long chase that Abraham had, that, that, that huge effort he had, that fight he had to rescue Lot from the clutches of Kedor Leomer. What we're seeing is that this is despair that is growing out of fatigue. And then more than that, we should also notice that this is darkness that manifests itself and shows itself in Scene chapter verse one, look at verse two. And think think this is Abraham saying these things. After what we saw last week, he cries out to God in verse two, and he says, Sovereign Lord, what can you give me since I remain childless? Then in verse three, 
He says, Lord, you have given me no children. And do you see what, do you see what that is? I mean, Abraham there is a man at his wit's end. I mean, he is a guy just so submerged in blindness that he is beginning to doubt that great promise that God has given him that he would father a child in his own age. There's doubt. But perhaps most importantly, we should also note that it is the darkness of the faithful. See, not that long ago, I don't know if you can remember what the last uh, series we had in our evening service was, but it was Jonah, wasn't it? It was Jonah, yeah. We don't finish that all that long ago, just a couple of months. And sometimes it's true that we can sort of think that spiritual despair is the preserve of men like that, don't we? That that sort of spiritual darkness is just reserved for for guys who are running away from Nineveh. You know, for people who are really just backslidden. And spiritual darkness, spiritual despair, that's just for people who have turned away from God. But hang on. That's not what we've got here. I mean, look at Abram. Abram's not like that. Do you remember what we saw at the end of last week? We saw that, that Abram had rejected the the king of Sodom, hadn't he? We saw that Abram was actually a guy who was pursuing holiness. He was a guy who was kind of thirsting after righteousness, a guy who was communicating with God. And yet, look what happens here. Darkness afflicts his soul. He is despairing. And I say to you tonight, we need to think seriously about this. Now, we've got to look at it and see that we've got to guard against, in our lives, being just so busy that we leave the door open to that spiritual despair. We've got to see as well that that despair does does often lead to doubt. And I think most crucially, we've got to see that spiritual depression is not something that is just for ungodly people. That spiritual despair comes to even the most godly of people. That like Abram, that like Elijah, that like Christ in Gethsemane, that spiritual darkness is not necessarily the result of our own specific sin. We are not too good for this. So there is despair in Genesis 15. And it is the despair of trusting the faithful. So an experience of darkness. Then what happens? You see it? Um, God takes Abram out of the tent. uh, God shows Abram the stars. (coughs) And he promises him innumerable offspring. So here... Let's see how Abram responds to the doubt. How does he act in this doubt that has engulfed his soul? So the second point is the trust shown in darkness. Okay. Let's lay on the line. There is one verse. In fact, there is part of one verse. One phrase um, that is key to understanding Genesis 15. Okay. In fact, you could argue there's one phrase here. There's actually key to understanding the whole of the Bible. 
And it is a phrase that sits in the middle of the, the chapter and it ties the two parts of Genesis 15 together. So, I'll read it. It is the first part of verse 6. It says, Abram believed the Lord. He believed the Lord. Now, um, of course, the idea is there that in despair, when shown the stars by God, that Abram was able to put his faith, that he was able to look to God for his security. Okay? And the verb form, it shows that there was a point of belief, a point where Abram trusted in God, but the verb form shows that there wasn't just that, that there was this continuing, ongoing, persevering trust in God. And uh, what we've got to appreciate as well, I think, is that verse 6 is different to everything else that's written about it. So sort of, I don't know, think of verse 6 as a, a free church minister in a One Direction concert or something like that, you know? But very different everything else that is around it. Okay. Just think about um, what we've got in, in the rest of Genesis. Okay. You know, these chapters we'll be looking at, straightforward narrative stuff, isn't it? I mean, chapter 13, 14, 15, you know, we're told stuff. You know, we're told Abram goes to Egypt or Egypt, uh, Abram goes to Canaan or Abram rescues Lot. You know, it's a straightforward narrative, but look at verse 6. There is an interpretive comment, isn't there, from the narrator. It's not, we're not just told Abram did stuff. We're told he believed the Lord and he credited it to him as righteousness. So why is there that comment from the narrator there? Well, it's because here as before, Abram is being raised up as an example for the nation that he's going to father. I mean, he is being raised up here for you and for me as an example of how we are to respond to the covenant of grace. But also he has been raised up to show how we are to respond to any subsequent darkness that befalls us. And what do we learn? What do we see here? We learn that like Abram, in despair, we must, as is the only stipulation of the covenant of grace, we must, must put our faith in Jesus Christ. That we must have that faith of verse 6, but also that we must then battle through any subsequent despair that we have by continuing to look to Jesus Christ, by continuing to trust in our God and the covenant promises that he lays out for us. Now, that sounds great, and it is easy for me to stand up in front of the church and say that to you. It sounds pretty straightforward, right? But how do we do that as Christians? Once we have put our faith in Jesus Christ and there is darkness round about us, how do we continue to trust in him? Well, we've all seen films about outer space. 
you don't need so much sort of sci-fi stuff, but, you know, like Apollo 13 and Gravity. You've seen films like that. The same thing always seems to happen in these films, doesn't it? There's always a disaster. Um, An astronaut, probably one astronaut has left, you know, he's up there in the, the space shuttle. And when there's darkness all around, you know, the the shuttle always seems to lose contact with Earth. It loses contact with Houston, doesn't it? But then this is a crucial point. The film will show, won't it, that astronaut continuing to speak into the microphone. You know, continuing to speak. You know, Houston, can you hear me? Houston, can you hear me? And then in that sort of silence and that the darkness will be that crackle, won't there? You know, and then a voice will come. And Houston will respond. But you see, that is the key in Genesis 15 to continuing to trust in God. Because in spiritual darkness, Abram, do you see, he's not like Jonah. He doesn't just run away not say anything. He persists. He carries on speaking to, communicating with God. Look, in verse 2, what do we see? We see that in this horrible despair, he speaks to God. Verse 3, he's doubting God, and he's doubting these promises. And what does he do? He speaks to God. In verse 8, we see the same thing. He speaks to God, and so on and so forth. Friend, if you end up in your life at a point that's similar to this, do you know what you must do? You must carry on continuing to trust in God and doing that by repeating into the microphone, God, can you hear me? God, can you hear me? And perhaps you're here tonight and, and, and you are engulfed by the darkness of your sin, having never, ever before called out to God. And I say to you tonight, see in verse 6 what you must do what you must do. You must believe. To experience the the joy, the blessing of the covenant and grace, you must have faith. Believe in the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved. So we see an experience of darkness and then we see this trust, the faith shown in darkness. Thirdly, so let's close with this. The assurance given in darkness. The assurance given. And what we're thinking about here, it's the last point. What we're thinking about is what God does. If you've seen what Abram does, he trusts. But what about God? He sees his child despairing and doubting. What does he do? He does two things. What we see is that he confirms the promises. And then we see that he also unveils more about them. So how does God confirm his promises? With all uh, reverence and respect, okay, when you read Genesis 15, if you're not familiar with it, when you read it for the first time, is it not perhaps true that it seems a bit strange? Right? Because... God, what does God ask Abram to do? God instructs Abram to go and get all of these animals, heifers and goats and stuff. Go and get the animals. And then what does he say? He instructs him to cut those animals in half 
and then kind of arrange them on the ground with this path that's between them. So surely, if you're reading that for the first time or hearing it for the first time tonight, you're thinking, oh, that's a bit odd. Why is it happened? Well, what we've got in that is the guaranteeing of God's covenant with Abram. He's made, remember in Genesis 12, he's made all these promises, a promise of seed, promise of land, promise of a nation. And now in this sort of manner, this way that is familiar or would have been familiar to the ancient world, God formalizes and secures those blessings in a ritual that actually says, if a person breaks the terms of this covenant, like those animals and those birds, if a person breaks this covenant, that person is going to be cursed. You see? So God confirms, he guarantees the covenant with Abram. But then he does something else. What was the second thing? He also unveils it. Now, in verse 12, what we see is that, I mean, Abram's in a pretty dark place to start with. But in verse 12, what we see is that a sort of deeper, more dreadful darkness befalls him. Do you see that in verse 12? What we need to see is that in that darkness, it is in that darkness that God chooses to reveal and explain to Abram how this promise of land is going to come to fruition. It's only when Abram is in the darkest of dark places that God says to him, see how this thing's going to work, Abram? Your offspring, they're going to be taken into slavery for 400 years, then they're going to come back, and then they're going to get this land of promise. In darkness. So he confirms and then he explains this covenant. Finally, you see. So let's close by asking what this means for us. And I suggest that we keep it simple. I suggest that we just take one crucial implication of this home with us tonight. One thing to think about. Know this, okay? Know that if you are in Christ tonight, that if you have that faith that we were talking about a moment ago, know that this, what we learn here, is that there is certainty. There is surety for your eternal salvation. That it is secure and that it is certain if you have that faith in Jesus Christ, okay? Because, you see, this covenant in Genesis 15, and this is a covenant that speaks of a child and it speaks of a nation. It is a covenant that points forward to this seed, a savior for his people. This is a covenant that God was willing to bend over backwards to confirm and guarantee, wasn't he? This is a covenant where, think about this, we're in this smoking fire pot and blazing torch that pass through those cut animals. This is a covenant where God himself was willing to put himself in the place of cursing. So utterly 
sure is the fulfillment of this covenant. And yet, do you see, it might very well be that for your life, you might have to go through, like Abram, darkness. You might have to go through periods of total misery. But if you do, know that you are only going through those things so that, like Abram, God can explain to you in the darkness more about the blessings that are going to be yours through this covenant of grace. You are going through that misery, you're going through that darkness so that God can make you see how certain it is that you are going to see your Savior and how certain it is that because of faith in Christ you will one day abide with God in the land of promise. So surely we look at Genesis 15 and we just stand back and go, wow, don't we? We really stand back and say, what God we have that he loves us so much that he has provided this covenant of grace that there is salvation through faith, that he loves us so much that he confirms and assures that covenant to us like this and he loves us so much that the blood that guarantees the covenant is not the blood of a heifer and it is not the blood of a bird but it is the spilt blood of his very own son isn't that incredible praise God that our faith in Christ is assuredly verse 6 credited to us as righteousness.